which will help us to grow closer to Jesus, but also to help us be more like Jesus to those around us. And actually, when we think about Jesus hacks in our life, they're not always going to be the easiest options. Because the things that we do to mean that we are reflecting Jesus more in our lives and the things that we do to make us know Jesus more in our lives aren't always going to be the easiest route that we can take. So tonight, if I asked you some questions, what might your answer be? Is Taylor Swift the most overrated music artist of the current decade? How did you vote in Brexit? Should social media be banned for anyone under the age of 25? Is the Conservative Party the best party to lead our country currently? Should we stop watching the England male football team and focus just on the women because they're doing a much better job? Now, for many of us, those questions will have really different answers and they will provoke really different reactions in us. And for some of us, they're going to provoke some pretty strong reactions. And if we asked you to actually answer those questions, I can imagine that in this room right now, we would have really different responses. And for some people, there might even be, as I was reading out those lists of questions, some uncomfortableness of why on earth are those things been mentioned in church? But actually, that is life. Because this side of heaven, this side of being in eternity with Jesus, we live in a world where we are going to face conflict and disagreement. Because we're not always going to have the same opinion. And what you might have answered to some of those questions, the person sitting next to you might have answered something completely differently. But they would feel that they were right. And I love that as we talk about this subject tonight, this whole idea of how do we disagree well, that I was given this topic to do. Because as a redhead, and I am a stereotypical redhead, I don't get this right very often. I know that I can be really defensive in conflict. I love a good argument. I can be really confrontational. So actually, this has been a brilliant talk for me to do. And please hear that as we go through this this evening, this is definitely not something I've got sorted. This is something that I'm on a journey with. But how great that we can journey together as we put these Jesus hacks into our lives. I had a friend uh, that I was at university with, and uh, she grew up in a Christian household that very much took the view of, as Christians, we should always be the bringers of harmony. We should never get involved in arguments. We should never have any sort of conflict. We should be the people who always back down and always bring harmony to every situation that we find ourselves in. And as she grew up and as she started kind of reading the Bible for herself and really grappling and understanding with what Jesus says, she said that the one thing she learned was that she really disagreed with how she had been brought up. Because actually, as Christians, we can look at the model of Jesus. And Jesus disagreed with people. He had conflicts with people. He challenged people. He certainly wasn't a doormat who just said, yeah, whatever, you can do what you like. That wasn't who Jesus was. And one of the other things that really has struck me as I've looked more and more at the person of Jesus is that actually Jesus didn't just hang out with the people who had the same views as him. He hung out with people with all sorts of different views to him. People who agreed with him, who disagreed with him, people who others said he shouldn't be with. Jesus broke the mould of the people that he hung out with. So in this world that we live in, it is full of so many polarised views where if you were on social media and if you did vote in the Brexit vote, you can bet your bottom dollar that whatever your social media thread says probably agrees with what you voted in Brexit. And you were probably quite shocked at what the result was if it wasn't what you wanted it to be. Because we live in a world of polarised views. So how do we reflect Jesus to people even if we don't always disagree with them? 
or agree with them. And just as a side note, what we're talking about tonight is those everyday conflicts and disagreements that we have in our day-to-day life. We are not talking about criminal acts or abuse. They will be dealt with, obviously, in a different way. So we're going to look at five points that the Bible models to us about how we can disagree well with people when we face those moments of conflict. So that we can be people, as Patrick Lezioni says in his book, who bring light, not heat, to the conversation. So the first point, uh, first point is find a point of connection. There are lots and lots of self-help books that have been written about disagreeing well, both for kind of self-help for your personal life, but also in big corporate companies. One of the most favourite things that I read, uh, looking at this whole find a point of connection, because most of the books sort of suggest this is a good starting point in disagreement, is find a point of connection. This is one of the most favourite things that I read. So when you are in the midst of a disagreement or conflict, maybe you could ask the question, does he play golf? Does he have a tropical aquarium? Or does she simply love shopping for things that sparkle? There is so much wrong with that statement. Because what if she likes to play golf and he likes to shop for sparkly things? But beside from that, I was reading that and thinking, if I was in the midst of an argument with somebody, or a conflict, or a disagreement, can you imagine that moment where you go, oh, can I just stop you? Can we talk about tropical fish for a moment? I cannot see how that helps us in the midst of our conflict. But actually, as Christians, we are way ahead of the game on all of this because we already have a common point of connection that goes above and beyond anything that we can see in another person. Because right at the start of the Bible, right at the start of God's word, one of the first ever things that God wrote about humanity was this. Let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness. Right at the start of the Bible, when God first created humanity, he made us in his image as his children. That we have that common point of connection. That regardless of our opinions, regardless of what we think or we feel about anyone that we are talking to or in conflict with, ultimately we can look at that person and say, you are a child of God, made in God's image. Maybe I don't like the things you're saying. Maybe I don't agree with what you think. But beyond that, you are a child of God. And so in those moments when I feel real conflict with someone and I can feel that bubbling up into hatred or anger, actually what I'm saying is, I hate one of God's children. And actually that's not the people that God called us to be. That regardless of what we feel or we think about their opinions or the disagreements we're having, we can look beyond that and say, but you are still a child of God. And that we can go into disagreements, we can go into conflicts, not worrying about whether they own tropical fish, but actually knowing that we can see someone through the eyes of Jesus. That they were made by a God in heaven who loves them deeply and who created them to be in relationship with him. So find that point of connection. The second one, don't try and be in control. Be equal and show love. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says of himself, the Son of Man, so Jesus, did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus as God's Son, God here on earth, could have come down to this earth and just gone around going, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm God here on earth, serve me. But he didn't. He came as a humble servant who came to say, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to walk with you. I'm here to help you learn more about me through love, not through lordship. 
And so often, if you're like me, when those moments when you're in a conflict or an argument with someone, you just want to get the winning point and you want to say that thing, which means that you've done really well and you've got the upper hand. And maybe as someone's kind of like talking, actually, you're sort of like working out what your next little argument's going to be. Because although in my eyes, I might think they're wrong and I might think they're the enemy, actually, in their eyes, they probably think the same about me as well. And so let's not be people who feel like we need to be in charge. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, Jesus says, You have heard it said, love your enemy and love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you too love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't go into a disagreement with the sole view of saying, I want to change someone's mind. Go into it knowing that you can love that person, that you can have a conversation, that you can have a conflict, but still love somebody. When you pray for that person, don't pray as I have done on numerous occasions. God, I pray for so-and-so and let them change their mind to agree with me. Just simply pray for them. Bring them before God because the truth is that God is in control. And actually, we don't need to be in control because God's got it. He knows it. He knows the whole situation. He knows what they're thinking and feeling. He knows what I'm thinking and feeling. And so I can simply leave it to him to trust that he is in control. I find that a really freeing thing for those moments in life where actually you have a conflict that you may never resolve. There is one person in my life who I no longer see, who I know carries hatred towards me. That we have not resolved the conflict that we had. I can hand on heart say, I tried my hardest to resolve that conflict. To try and get to a point where even though we might have not agreed, actually we could move forward together. But that person decided they didn't want to do that. And I probably won't see them again. I pray that I do and that we do reach a point of resolution. But I know that within that, actually, I can hold my hands open and say, I don't need to churn it over and over in my head. I don't need to let it keep me up at night anymore. I can put my hands out and say, God, you are in control. I pray for that person. I pray that we do get a chance to restore our relationship one day. But even if we don't, I can give them to God and I can give the situation to God because I don't have to be in control and I don't have to do all the sorting out all of the time. As long as I know that what I've done has been with integrity, I've acted in love and I've asked for forgiveness, I can then hand it to God. The next one, engage in a conversation where you're willing to both listen and learn. Often we can find ourselves in conversations which become a little bit of a battle, don't they? Where you're kind of speaking over one another and actually we forget to listen well, as Mel spoke about a little while a few weeks ago. That we just think about talking and battling rather than actually about listening and listening well, not listening just to fit in with our next point. I love, uh, there's many stories about Jesus, but there's a story in the book of Mark which says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of the Pharisees were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. 
Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful to do on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. As we've already said, Jesus was God here on earth. He could have gone into any situation and said, do you know what, I'm God, I'm totally right, I don't care what you think, but he didn't. He asked questions because he wanted to help people get to the decision, get to the answer on their own with an act, as an act of humility, as an act of helping people to unpack and uncover and learn about God for themselves. But what does it say in this passage? That he asked questions to the Pharisees. He didn't just say to them, I can see that your hearts are hardened, that you're not listening or not agreeing with what I'm doing. He actually asked them questions. What do you think? Is it okay that I heal this man on the Sabbath? Because I think that a God of love would want me to. But yet they remained silent because they didn't want to engage in a conversation. They didn't want to discuss with Jesus what he was doing. And I recognize for myself that I can do that so very easily as well. I became a Christian, a kind of follower of Jesus when I was at university. And so the first church that I really got stuck into in a really sort of like real way where I was serving and getting really involved was Riverside when I came many, many years ago to do a gap year. So I came along to Riverside and we, Riverside is a church that believes in women in leadership. So along I came, there were women in leadership. I thought, great, yeah, didn't think about it. And then as I became a bit more mature in my faith and I started to look at the issues and I was like, yeah, I'm really pro-women in leadership. So I started reading loads of books and kind of looking at the issue and what do we do with those tricky verses which people look at and they say, but that means that women shouldn't be in leadership. And so I started to kind of like read what other theologians thought about it. But what I realized was every single book I was reading was a book that was pro-women in leadership because I wanted what I believed to be backed up. And when I started my um, studies at Bible college, I realized that there were lots of people who had very different opinions to me, who didn't believe in women in leadership. And this is one of the most helpful books that I've read, because it's a book uh, uh, which is written by lots of different theologians, and every chapter poses a question, something to do with women in leadership or something to do with one of the tricky verses. And then two theologians write an essay to answer the question. One is for women in leadership, one is against women in leadership. Reading this book didn't change my opinion about women in leadership. I still believe that from what I've read in the Bible and what I've kind of studied, women should be in leadership. But the respectful way that both these theologians wrote of one another and one another's opinions really struck me. Because if we only hang out with the people who have the same opinions as us and who agree with us, then our worlds become very small and our worldview becomes very narrow. Because we just hang out with the people who back out what we think, and so we just instill in ourselves that sense of, I'm always right. Hanging out or discussing things with people who don't have the same opinion as you isn't a bad thing. It's actually a really freeing thing. Next one, so number four, check your own stuff. So behind lots of the disagreements, lots of the conflicts that we can have, is actually just a clash of our own cultures, our own experiences, our own backgrounds. What we've been through seems really normal to us, but to someone else seems really abnormal. And so we come together and we have this massive clash of how we react or how we interact with one another. In the book of Acts, when Peter goes to the Jewish believers and he says to them, guess what? Loads of non-Jews are becoming followers of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? When you read that passage, if you have, we probably think that our reaction of the Jewish leaders would be brilliant, but it wasn't. It says that when Peter came and said to them that all of these Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, were believing in Jesus, it says they criticised him. 
These were the people who had walked with Jesus when Jesus was alive on this earth. And Peter comes and says to them, loads more people are coming into the kingdom of God. And they criticized him. Because for them, their background had been that actually you've got to be uh, one of the kind of like Jewish tribes to be able to be in a relationship with God. Actually, their whole culture was following the Jewish laws. And suddenly someone else comes along and says, all these people who haven't been following the Jewish laws, they're going to come into the kingdom of God too. But I love what it goes on to say in the story. Because it goes on to say that Peter sat them down and he told them the whole story. And so for a long time, Peter unpacked and he talked with them what had happened to him previously, which had led him to the point where he knew that God wanted everybody in his kingdom. He talked with them. He unpacked their stuff to help them see there was a different way and that God's kingdom was growing and flourishing because God was doing a new thing. So what's your stuff? What's your stuff that you bring to conflicts and disagreements, which actually doesn't bring light to situations, but brings heat? A few years ago, one of my really good friends had inadvertently upset me, and I was quite upset about it. Now, my background growing up, uh, I came from a family where we really argued. Me and my dad had some blazing rows. We were all about shouting. We were just about getting it out there. Uh, the red-headed thing came out very strongly in my family, even though I'm the only one. So my stuff is in an argument or in a conflict, I love to just get it out there, get it all on the table, shout, get whatever needs to happen. So my friend had inadvertently upset me, so I thought, I'm going to ring her, I'm going to address this straight away so this doesn't become an issue. I picked up the phone, I told her exactly why she'd upset me, all the things that she'd done, um, and it was fine, we were still good friends, hung up, and I thought, that is brilliant. It's all sorted now, fantastic. We are good, I'm good, great, our friendship can go on. Fortunately, one of our other really good friends, who was a woman of real integrity, realized that my other friend was now deeply upset. And she got in touch with me and she said, Sarah, do you know what? You've really upset this person because she thinks you don't want to be her friend anymore. And it was a really good moment for me to realize that my stuff of just getting it all out there shouting actually wasn't the best way. Because what I should have done is wait to have a face-to-face -face conversation with her over coffee, where I could have said, do you know what, that thing you did, that, that just really upset me. That we could have talked it through together, that we could have seen each other's facial reactions. We could have had a good conversation. We could have had a good pray. Not just where I felt better, but where both of us came to a point of revel revel revelation. Thanks, resolution, revel whatever. Um, and, and that's really helped me in my life because I am a very reactionary person because that's how I grew up. And Judy's really helped me as well in that sense of learning, don't always react in the immediate. Save that email. Text the following morning. Wait and have that face-to-face -face conversation. So what is your stuff? What are the things that you bring into disagreements and arguments that actually mean you're reacting in a way that probably isn't always particularly helpful? And then finally... Let's be people of reconciliation. Our faith is built on the fact that as humanity turned their backs on God and said, we don't want to do anything with you. We want to go our own way without you as a part of it. God said, I love you too much to let that happen. I'm going to send my son, God, down to this earth to die on a cross to take away every single thing that you have ever done wrong. That all those moments that you turn your back on God, all of those moments that you say, I can do it in my own way, God said, you know what, I love you too much to let that happen. And so Jesus, God's son, came down to this earth. He died on a cross to take away the punishment for everything we would ever do wrong. And then he rose again three days later in victory for each one of us to know that we can be in relationship with him now, but forever in eternity. 
our whole faith is built on a beautiful message of forgiveness. So let's be people who are quick to say sorry. Let's be people who are quick to forgive. Because when I say to somebody, I forgive you, I am not saying I agree with you. I am saying simply, I want to see you as a child of God. What has happened between us, I don't agree with it. You're not going to change my mind. Maybe we will never even come to any sorts of resolution together. But actually, I can still be in an understanding that I will forgive you because I have been forgiven. Let's be people who are really quick to say sorry for the things that we've done wrong. In those moments where we know we have seen or said or done something which has caused hurt or pain, let's put aside all of the pride that we can so easily carry sometimes and be people who come and say, we're sorry, we got it wrong. And in those moments when people come and say sorry to us, that again, we can be quick to forgive. Be people of reconciliation. Reconciliation.